Well, good morning. This is attorney Steve Levake, your host of Legal Tips on WPRO. We are live answering your questions, giving out advice on this beautiful Sunday. And here we go into another uh, week of actually two weeks because we had a little technical issue last week. Uh, Two weeks of interesting news, tidbits, topics, legal news and information for you to ponder and perhaps to put into place. You know, uh, often we deal with many of the same issues after 26 years of practicing law and arguing before the Supreme Court and jury trials, zoning appeals, probate work, Medicaid planning. You know, you call here, you're going to get an answer. At least I can point you in the right direction. That's what this show's all about. That's what I've been doing in my practice for 26 years, been pretty successful at that. And it's uh, what we do here every week to help point you in the right direction, give you some advice and put your mind at ease. You've probably heard me say this a million times. I find that most of the time, Folks are nervous. You get nervous about issues, and I can relate to that. If you get served paperwork or if you're having a dispute with your neighbor or maybe something else is going on in your life, a divorce, and you know it creates anxiety. And that anxiety, the reality behind it, can lead to um, other other issues that really, if you can just get an answer, if you can talk to somebody about what's going on, it will help you. And and that's what we do here in the show. That's what I've been doing in my practice. And hopefully most of the time when you call my office, if you reach out to me and you have a question, you say, listen, I'm a radio listener. I, well, first of all, I always return my calls within a day or so. But most of the time, I'll pick up the phone if I can and get your information and see if it's something I can help you with. If it's not, I'll tell you who you have to call to make sure that you can get the information that you need. Sometimes you can you can be an advocate for yourself. Sometimes you can contact certain agencies and departments to try to help you, but you just don't know who to call. And I have that inf- information in my little nugget. And other times, there are times when you need an attorney, you need an attorney to advocate for you, to advance your position, to argue your case, and um, also an attorney who's skilled in litigation. I, I find that that's very important, having those skills, understanding how to how to examine somebody on the stand, how to cross-examine somebody on the stand, how to um, present a case carries throughout your entire practice. Now, the number here is 1-800-321-WPRO or 401-438-9776, 401-438-9776. And there's been a lot of information over the past couple of weeks that um, a lot of cases I wanted to get to, some really weighty topics, some um, not so weighty topics. And um, one of the things I wanted to talk about was uh, somebody had contacted me regarding a zoning issue. And so many times there are different levels of zoning. And I've been doing real estate for 26 years and real estate closings, uh, commercial business, transactional work and zoning work. And there's different levels to the type of zoning relief that you need. Well, let's say, for example, you want to put on a garage and your garage is going to be within maybe eight feet of your neighbor's side yard, and you're supposed to have 10 feet, they may say that you need dimensional or relief from the dimensions of the setbacks. And that's pretty nominal. That that usually isn't a big deal. It's when you get into the more complicated issues where perhaps what you're doing is 
now you want to open a lower office in what may be a residential zone, and now you need a zoning variance where you're asking to vary the zoning for that particular location, and that gets a little bit more complicated. Many times I like to use an expert or something, somebody to go with me, or at least have representation to ask you the right questions so that if neighbors come and they argue and it gets appealed, you have um, the questions on record with the facts if you win that particular zoning issue. Well, the zoning issue was this, this person applied for zoning and they were denied. And then the zoning officer told them they couldn't reapply for, it was either a year or two years, um, and they can't apply for the same relief. And that's actually a state law, you know? So it, it being denied relief in a particular zoning application may preclude you from doing what you want to do in the future. And you could be denied for a variety of reasons. You know, most of the time our zoning boards, they're great folks. They're just people from our community who volunteer to serve as a zoning officer. And I can appreciate that. Some of them are attorneys. Some of them are doctors. Some of them are school teachers, whatever, or retired. Whatever their background is, the idea is that there is a board to make sure that everything stays in conformity with whatever's going on in your particular area. And the reality is that uh, you there are specific questions. You know, there are magic words that you need to ask and answer and be prepared to ask and answer. And that way, when the zoning board, if they rule in your favor, and if a neighbor appeals it, your appeal is protected. The worst thing that I see that happens is folks come in because a neighbor appealed a zoning board decision. And you may say, well, what gives a neighbor a right to appeal a zoning board decision? Well, if a neighbor attends the hearing and they're within a certain radius of your house, they have standing and they may be able to appeal to superior court, which could delay your project for a year or two years. It could even be longer. But the reality is that that, that can happen. But if you don't use the particular words or put the facts on record, then the judge may very well say, no, you you were you were approved, but you should have been denied. Now you have to wait or you have to come up with a different plan. So I see this a lot. And, you know, if you're on the other side of the fence, because I represent folks on the other side of the fence that may say, no, my neighbor's garage is going to be on top of my house. I don't want to live like that. It's going to make me dark. You know, my the side of my house will be dark. I'll get mold. And they want to appeal it. There are time frames, and many people don't realize that once an order is entered and recorded in a zoning case, generally you have 20 days to make your appeal to Superior Court. If you miss your time frame, if you miss it, that's it. The order stands. It's final. It's a final order. That's it. You have no right to contest it after that. So these time frames and so what I'm trying to say is when you're involved in anything, even something as as maybe straightforward as a dimensional zoning variance relief, use an attorney, go with an attorney, make sure you're protected. Or if you're objecting to the zoning relief, use an attorney who can actually cross-examine their witness and maybe point out issues that they didn't address, such as drainage, such as water flow such as light exposure, parking, 
All of those issues could come to light. Now, this is just one situation that uh, comes up. But, you know, another client contacted me late last week also. And they said, you know, Stephen, um, you usually when, for example, sometimes this happens. 99% of the time people call me and say, Stephen, you're going to handle my case. And then the other, let's say, 1% or 5% of the time, I get these calls and they say, you know, I hired this attorney. I know I should have hired you. This is what happened. And so in this particular situation, talk about complicated. So this particular situation, I, I think you're going to like this story. Um, it, I, it has a rather good ending because I was able to figure it out. But here's the situation. Uh, Mary Jane and Johnny Sue get divorced. Okay, they're getting divorced. They go see an attorney. They uh, go to court. Uh, and when you go through a divorce, there's actually uh, several steps. But two of the steps are once you have your court date in court with the judge, where the judge actually says, yes, you are divorced. In Rhode Island, there is a 90-day cooling off period, which means that you have to wait 90 days before that final judgment enters. And so that's that's the state law. And, and I know that sounds odd because you would think when you go to court and the judge says you're divorced, you're divorced. But no, there's a 90-day order that enters. So very interesting. In this particular situation, a year and a half later, she goes to apply for a marriage certificate. It finds out she's still married to her former spouse. The attorneys never filed the final judgment. Now, this could just be oversight. It could be something done with a telephone call. But here's the rub. Here's the rub. He's deceased. So they never filed the final judgment. She was still married to him at the time of her of his passing. She never received notice of the probate because the family assumed they were divorced. And so what are her rights? What does she have to do now? Or what are her obligations as his spouse? I mean, talk about adding layers upon layers of complicating factors Technically, she is divorced because he's deceased, so she's no longer married, or she's not divorced, she's just no longer married, she's a widower, but that's not really what her intentions were, and in addition to that, you know, she has no idea what type of exposure or liability she may have from the divorce because she was still married, could Medicaid, because he did go in a nursing home, could Medicaid file a lien against her because they were married? So. We have to go back to try to fix it retroactively. But the question is, who do we serve? Do we serve the estate, the administrator of the estate? We can't serve him. Do we serve the attorney who originally prepared the final judgment? So my answer was, we're going to serve everybody. And we're going to go back to court and explain the situation and ask that the court enter the final judgment. And it's called in NISI, N-I-S-I, or NISI, some people say it like that. Uh, basically, all that means is to relate back. It's Latin to relate back. And we're going to ask that the final judgment enter and relate back to the time frame that it should have entered. You know, because it's such a unique situation and because he's deceased, I'm not sure if the judge will accept service on the estate or service on the attorney as sufficient notice. But it seems like it's not an unreasonable request. And certainly within the court's purview to say, 
yes, that that divorce decree should have entered after 90 days. She should have been divorced and not a widower. And so, you know, to avoid all these issues, but it's just quick thinking on my feet to try to find a solution. Makes a little sports analysis, pop culture, and great interviews. And you've got the Rich Eisen Show podcast. Mike Florio, who's coaching for their gigs this year, do you think? Brandon Staley, the Chargers, have to be. The way that they ended the 2022 season. And I think Robert Kraft put everyone on notice, including Bill Belichick, that it could be over. And Rich, every owner is thinking about the easy part is getting rid of the guy I have. The hard part is finding a guy who's as good or better. The Rich Eisen Show podcast wherever you listen to that particular problem i did have a uh question that came in to me and um this was a kind of interesting question and i directed the person and this is one of those things where i told them perhaps i think they need to talk to an agency first and so um this particular individual contacted me they had heard us on the radio talking about different things and when they left their employment, they had an agreement with their employer for training. Now, I hadn't seen this before, and maybe this is something new that's happening more and more. But they had a contractual agreement with their employer that said if they, ter- if they leave their employment within 90 days, they have to reimburse their employer. It was something like 5000 or 8000 some odd number. Then if they left within six months, it dropped to half. Then if they left within nine months, and then if they stayed the year, the training fee was waived. And it said the training fee was for training on their particular software and equipment. So the person was there for about two and a half months. And my understanding during that time frame, they um, had some medical issues. They He had to leave his place of employment. He had to go out on medical leave. And when he did that, they said he was still under probation. So they just terminated his employment. Okay. So now he's thinking, well, all right, maybe, you know, maybe I can go back on unemployment compensation, um, you know, uh, trying to figure things out. All of a sudden he gets this lawyer's letter and it says, by the way, you signed this contract for employment with XYZ. And that contract for employment said that in consideration of them training you uh, in these particular areas, which he was already trained on, which is why they hired him in the first place, um, where you're, if you leave within this time frame, we got to pay us back. And I, I be honest with you, I, you know, you'll hear me say this many times. I've, I've seen it. I've done it um, almost every area of the law. Obviously, this is an issue of contract law. And, um, you know, I'm I'm well-versed with contracts and I'm well-versed with the ins and outs of negotiating a contract. And so um, this particular person said, I had never seen this before. Now he has this lawyer's letter saying that they want this um, amount of money to be paid. And if they didn't hear back from him, they were going to file a civil lawsuit against him to collect it. And now, so... I said, geez, I said, well, I said, this is a a very odd situation. I said, was it specialized training? Did they put you through an education? In other words, perhaps they had to send you for nine weeks to be educated on a particular software. None of that applied. And so I was trying to think outside the box. For example, um, I, I remember when I was in the national guards and they had they sent me to tennessee for six weeks to learn how to use a particular type of computer 
And, you know, so that was specialized training in addition to other times that they had sent me for training, but nothing like that. And so the issue is, can this contract be contested? Is it a binding agreement? Well, you know, the thing about contracts is um, contracts are enforceable when you sign them. And generally, there's a presumption in the courts that when you sign a document, it's presumed that you read it and that you understood it, which is why you always hear me complain about DocLink and Doc and DocuSign stuff because you're electronically signing things, clicking through tabs, and perhaps that doesn't apply. But yes, that is the situation and that is the presumption. So the presumption is that when somebody goes to court with a contract, whether it's a contract to lend you money, uh, a, a, for example, a promissory note, a car loan, which is a promissory note, or maybe a contract to purchase and sale of land, the court presumes, they presume that you read it, you understood it, and that you wouldn't have signed it had you not read it and understood it. So the question becomes, where do we go from here? Is there any other area of law that we can look to? And in this particular situation, I think it falls squarely within the Department of Labor's purview. And my recommendation to him is what we would start with in response to this letter is a complaint to the Department of Labor because it appears to be an abusive practice. And um, he indicated to me that it was handed to him with his handbook and a bunch of documents that he signed at that time. Doesn't negate that you signed it, okay? You signed it, you signed it. You should have read it. You can't put your signature on something if you don't read it, but it seems to me that this may be an abusive practice. And I think once we file a complaint with the Department of Labor, going to an agency to intervene on our behalf, we can avoid the necessity of having to go to court and the expense of that. So this may be a solution to this particular problem. I have found some interesting case law on the scope of employment agreements. Now, this is where I think our legal argument will go, just so you know how my brain kind of works. I started looking at the agreement itself, and it's extremely technical. And it's obviously was handed to him at the time he was signing Uh, his handbook and signing his W-9. They were all signed at the same time. So my issue here is there is a disparity. So can an employer enforce that type of agreement? I would say yes, but I would have said, I would have said if I represented that employer, I would have said, if you're going to enforce this type of agreement, Number one, you want to spell out specifically what type of training is going to be included that you it's costing you this amount of money. And number two, I would have put in that contract a three or five day right to cancel, which means that if he chose to accept this job, he would have three, three days, a cooling off period to review all these documents or have an attorney review them before he started work there. And I think that's what I would have told the employer. As the employee, I think there is a significant disparity of bargaining power. Clearly, this person wants a job and they're applying for the job. And you have somebody who has the keys to that job saying, sign this document. And there's a significant disparity of bargaining power 
between the parties. You have a commercial entity, you have a non-commercial entity, you have uh, somebody who has something and has it drawn by an attorney, and you have somebody who isn't an attorney and doesn't have that capability. So because of the disparity of bargaining power, I think that that's going to be the way in, perhaps to argue against this contract. But if you're an employer and you are going to be doing something along these lines, and this might be something novel coming up through human resources, my recommendation would be, number one, if you're going to draft that contract, you have an attorney like myself, draft it in plain English, okay? Plain English. Number two, my recommendation would be you spell out specifically what is the cost of training? Why? Why are you going to have this contract in place? And number three, I would recommend you give a cooling off period, which gives them the opportunity to have it reviewed. I mean, that was that's how, see, that's how I think. I like to think pragmatic, practical solutions to complex legal problems and then argue those solutions or argue my side of the case or your side of the case so that we can prevail on whatever issue we're going to go against. Now, my name's attorney Steve Levake, your host of Legal Tips on WPRO. Uh, we do have a couple of callers on the line. We have Jim from North Kingstown. Uh, Jake, do you want to take Jim now and then go to break? What do you think, Jake? Should we take Jim now and go yeah, to break? Yeah, we can talk or... to Jim. Oh, we can talk to Jim. All right, let's get Jim on the line. Hi, Jim. You're on the air with Steven. How can I help you today? Uh, yes, a uh, very quick question, very simple. Uh, my wife and I have a investment property that we have for sale. Now, here's the problem. Uh, if we sell it and we sign a contract to sell it, I have to go out of town for a while. So how do I sign the papers or how does this closing, how does the closing occur with me not being there? Ah, that's a great question. So the way I handle these situations, Jim, when I'm, when I'm, if I was your attorney, number one, I would probably have you pre-sign as many documents as you could prior to you leaving the state. That way we have hard, we have wet, what's called a wet signature and we have all your signatures. I would also have you sign a power of attorney before you leave. I'd also get copies of all pertinent documents before you leave. And then once you're gone, um, generally as an attorney for you or as a power of attorney for strictly for the real estate closing, I can sign your name to the settlement statement or any particular closing documents. And if your wife's still here, obviously she would sign her name to those documents. But worst case scenario, worst case scenario, I work with a kind of a large network and depending on where you are i can always have somebody meet you to get you to sign those documents but most of the time i say let's pre-sign as much as we can get a poa get everything in place and then that way when you're not here it, you know we can it, the closing can still proceed with your consent but obviously without the necessity of you having to come back to sign documents I see. The question I have is, um, where would I get those documents from the lender that's lending the money to the um, uh, uh, borrowee? But my real estate agent said 
that you may get a cash offer, and I wouldn't have any documents from the bank to sign. So are you saying that power of attorney given to my wife would settle this or get an attorney and give them the power of attorney? Generally, what I would say is, yes, we would give your wife a specific power of attorney. But there are documents that I prepare for my clients when I'm in this situation. All the closing documents that I know that the other side is going to be looking for, title documents and and things of that nature, that I would have you pre-sign. And that way, everything's signed and dated and notarized, and it would be sufficient for the for the transaction to occur. So I don't okay. see that, that as being like a, a problem. Well, that sounds like a wonderful thing. But here's the other thing. I'm The second question, okay? The funds that come from the sale, can those be direct deposited into a savings account or a checking account? Oh, absolutely. The only thing that I will tell you, Jim, is many times a lot of attorneys right now are very reluctant. A lot of closing attorneys are very reluctant to wire money. And because of the amount of wire fraud that's going on, um, but generally, yes, if I made the request, those funds could be wired into your account. Is this going to be a long-term capital gain, Jim? Have you held it for more than a year? Yes, it is. It's a it's a property that's worth a lot of money, but it's no, are you interested no in? Are you going to be buying something? Over Thirty years. Yeah, you're going to be buying something else with those proceeds, or no? No, no. We we're okay. elderly. We want to pay off the mortgage, the house we live in, so we have okay. no debt. All right. That's very good. Are both of you residents of the state of Rhode Island? Yes. Okay. That's an important question because a lot of people don't know, Jim, that if you're not a resident of the state of Rhode Island, when you sell property in Rhode Island, Rhode Island charges you a 6% sales tax. We have to, we would have to address that up front. Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of little things that happen, but you know, you can feel free to give me a call at the office. That's not a problem. I'll help you out with this, Jim. That sounds wonderful, and that's probably what I'll do. I'll really follow up with a call, call to your office. Thank you very much for the answer. You got it. You got it. You have a caller on the line. We have B in Smithfield. Hi, B. You're on the air with Stephen. Hi, Steve. Thank you for taking my call. Yeah, I received a notice. Um, it states at the top of the letter, it's final notice. It's for a home warranty, which I've never heard of before, and it's from the bank um, Boston Mortgage Company, and it states in the letter. I'll quickly read this. Yeah, um, read that. To inform me. That... Yep. It's to inform me that the property's home warranty at my address, secured by Bank Boston Mortgage Company, may be expiring or may have already expired. Our records indicate you have not contacted us. Highlighted um, yet uh, us. Uh, yet to get your home warranty up to date. And then it says in a small box, without a home warranty in place, you are at risk of being financially liable for any and all repairs. However, you still may have time left to activate a home warranty on your home before it's too late. No inspection will be required. And final acceptance is subject to your ability to meet eligibility. We reserve the right to da-da-da-da-da. And it says call immediately um, as this will be our final attempt to notify you at this number. And, um, and it, um, I received this registration fee voucher in the amount of $199, 
and expires of all dates, 9-11, tomorrow. Oh, and yep. um, it says signature required for redemption. I've never, and I, I called this number, Steve, and um, I said, um, I own my own home, lock, stock, and barrel. I paid the mortgage off in 2008. And um, before I bought the home, I had a real estate lawyer. I had, uh, a, you know, there was a sellers and a buyer agent. I've never, and they never brought up home warranty. So I've never heard of this before. Is this something legitimate? No, no. I'm glad no, you called. No, it's not. Because, I didn't think so. That's why I yeah. called the number and I told them to get a real job. I was so disgusted yep. by this. Yep. No, it's not. It's not a real thing. It is entirely. Um, there are these companies out there. They're like out of California, out of Florida. They have all these yeah. weird addresses, and they're doing yeah. this. They get the money. They never give you a warranty. It, um, yeah. there, there are also these companies that are doing this with the secretary of state. So what they do huh. is they download your, if you were, if you had a corporation or an LLC, and then they send out these letters saying you must do this. And then they collect your money and they never do anything for you, but no, they also I, I do it with this. home I, warranties. Yes. I, I, I it's as if these people could set up an office to concoct yep. these schemes to pull the wool over people's eyes. I was, yes, so, and pe- I was and angry. It, it makes people it makes people nervous. I mean, you get a letter like that, and it sounds official. Sounds like it came from something yeah, that's does, important. Think, mm-hmm. Yeah, they but, and that uh, and then and I'm glad you called in, B, because a lot of people yeah. don't really realize that it's you know it's completely fraudulent. It's it and yeah, and, it's and the attorney. The interesting thing is the attorney general's office just. Uh, completed suing one of these companies that did it with the corporations. And I think they got money back for a lot of people, but you know, a lot of people just send the money in because it looks official. You don't know the difference. Yeah. Well, you you don't know. I mean, if, if you, if you're getting a letter and it looks that official, it looks like it's from your bank. I mean, you may final notice all these. Yes. Uh Yes. 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 And the number, probably the, probably the thing, these numbers. Yeah, no, no, no. And I think probably so if they call you back, make sure you just block their telephone number so that way you don't oh, get any not. calls I from told them. I said, don't ever contact this. My, uh, don't ever call me because I know they right. have obviously they have my phone number, but I just I received it. I never received a phone call, but I call them to find out okay. what, what kind of a company this was. But I told them, you know, in no uncertain terms, get a job. And I hung yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. And then and then also, you know, just so so anybody listening, if you ever get a notice like that and it looks like it's official from your bank, you could just call your bank directly and say, Did you send me this letter? And they may tell you, No, we didn't send you any letters. So that way you know not you know, you know it's they're just trying to scam you. I I think that's really I've important. Never banked to be. With bank board. Excuse yeah, me. Oh, I you never, never did. Oh, okay. So then never, they just made ever. that up. Even, they made that up hoping he, that they got the right one with you. And even the mortgage companies that they were would change a couple of times. They changed until I mm-hmm. I paid my mortgage. Mm-hmm. Never once mm-hmm. by Boston Mortgage Company. And I would remember oh. these names. I know yeah. I would. Well, well, thank you well, so B, much. I'm I glad you didn't do it, and I'm glad you called in because I know everybody listening is probably thinking the same thing and getting these notices. And you know, the more we make people aware of 
you know, things being, you know, things being taken advantage of. And, and, you know, I'm glad you called in. Thanks for calling in B. Good, good, good point and good question. All righty. So this is attorney Steve Lavecchio, host of Legal Tips on WPRO. And yeah, it's a scary thing. I, I mean, I'll tell you that. I mean, you know, a lot of people say, you know, that um, they get, I get a lot of calls at the office saying, you know, I got this letter saying my car warranty, final notice, they're going to take my car away from me, or uh, my corporation needs to be renewed when you usually contact your attorney and they do the renewal for you, or, you know, all these different variety, different types of variety of items and issues that percolate that they find ways, or they send you these scam emails and and so, you know, you got to be vigilant and, you know, B did the right thing. And I'm glad she called in because it's important that everybody understands that, you know, that there is these issues out there and that, you know, that there are people, unfortunately, that spend all their lives just trying to figure out ways to, you know, steal money from somebody. You loved Lala Kent on Vanderpump Rules. Now get to know her on Give Them Lala. The Gen Zers, you know they they love to like be Gen Z, are calling Margot Robbie mid. On what planet is Margot Robbie a mid? Who's judging this? Like are oh, women judging the four, it? The four the, the people <laughs> the forward haircuts. Yeah. Don't bring my people into this. The people <laughs> with the foreheads, babe. We all agree that she's a ten. Yes. yes. Give them Lala wherever you listen. Uh, we do have callers on the line, so we're going to get right to Therese from Providence with a real estate question. Hi, Therese. You're on the air with Stephen. Hi, Stephen. How are you? Good. Uh, my question is, uh, my best friend, her dad died, and um, it's just been a lot. And the will was um, going through probate in Florida and there's a piece of property left and they finally got a real estate agent to sell it. In probate, they put all four people that have a claim to the property, three siblings and the children of a deceased sibling. And um, she is not the executor. There was a lawyer involved. And what's happened is one of the siblings will not, has been contacted, will not respond. And they're trying to find out a way is it possible to get relief, like if they went into court and say this person isn't responding and like sell the property and put their money in escrow, or do all four oh. entities have to sign? Okay. Do you know whether or not the estate, the probate estate, actually conveyed or deeded the property to the children? Yes, to all four people. Um, well, there's five, but each of, you know, it's 25% to the yeah. children of one, 25% to the three siblings. So all of a sudden, probate, without her even knowing, put the deed in four people's oh, names. Oh, boy. Yep. Yep. See, see what should have happened, and I, I hate to say this, but what should yeah, have transpired. It should have been sold in probate. It should have been sold in probate from the probate estate then the money could have been distributed. And if somebody can't respond or sign the release for the probate estate to be closed, the money could be deposited with the probate. The probate estate could be closed. That's how I would have handled it, especially in this situation. And probate is closed now because of that oh, deed. Boy. So now here's the rub. When somebody's name is on a deed, okay, when, the, when you're a titled owner with anybody. So if you and I own property together, and you want to sell that property, but you can't get in touch with me to sign a deed. 
um, or or maybe we're fighting and I don't want to sell the property. I live in it or, or for whatever, who knows, whatever other reason comes up. The only way you can do what you just said is now you would file an action in court to force the sale of the property, which is called partition. And in Florida, it might have a different name, but basically it means, hey, other court, we're looking to force the sale of this property. And if this person doesn't want to cooperate, we'll deposit their money with that particular court so that way the sale could proceed. And then they can make a claim for their money whenever they get around to it. But that would be the course of action that you'd have to take in order to now sell the property since it wasn't properly administered during the probate estate. And just what they suspected was going to happen, you know, it's a flood-based area, so there's no insurance. They can't get insurance. Oh, no. father had a good amount of money, so he didn't care when they wouldn't renew the insurance. And um, now the property was broken into yesterday, and, you know, they have a real estate agent. They have some potential buyers for the land, but this one sibling lives out west and just won't respond, just wants to make it difficult, you know, just won't sign anything, and that's it. Wow. So what they feared is is happening. Yep, and that is pretty terrible. Um, All right. All right, Therese. Sorry to hear about that. Boy. Yeah, thank you so much. Yep, and now, now just so you know, Therese, if that's going to happen, the attorney can file that action can ask that the property forced to be sold, but understand the cost of that action versus what would have happened if it was just dealt with the probate is going to be triple, probably triple the cost of the probate by the yeah, time you get actually was selling paid it. For. Yep. Yep. Okay. I wish you All the right. best of luck, Therese. Thank you so much. Okay. You got it. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Alrighty. So, um, Boy, tough situation, but a lot of people don't understand that. You know, many times folks will come in and see me and they'll say, Stephen, I want to put so-and-so's name on the deed. And and I, I tell them, you know, here's the rub. Okay. Number one, if somebody puts your name on the deed, that's a gift, but you don't have to accept that gift. So for example, I had somebody come in and see me. And their parents had put them on the deed, but the house was severely mortgaged and underwater. And they said, well, what am I going to do with this house now when they're no longer here? And by the way, I, they don't have insurance on the property. If your name is on the deed, you're an owner, which means you have a responsibility. You have liability. So in that situation, the parent's house was severely mortgaged. They let their insurance lapse. And they said, we're going to put your name on the deed. They went to an attorney and they just added the name to the deed. And they said, well, wait a minute. I have a good job. I own my own home. What if somebody slips and falls on this property? What what if I'm going to get sued? And so they asked me, what can be done? And I said, you don't have to accept the gift. And they said, really? I said, yes, this that's the law. I said, if somebody wants to give you something, you don't have to accept the gift. So we can record a rejection or a disclaim the gift saying we don't want to accept it. Now, let's look at the other side of the coin. Whenever you add somebody's name to the deed, 
if you do it voluntarily and you're of sound mind, right, with the intention to make a gift. Yeah, in other words, all of those things have to be there. When you add somebody's name to a deed and you do it with the intention of giving somebody something presently, now it has to be a present gift. If you want to do anything in the future, they have to sign. So if you want to sell, they have to sign. If you want to refinance, they have to sign. You're hamstrung. So if you have a falling out with somebody, that's it. The only way to resolve that now is to argue. You can either argue there was a defect in the deed, or you can argue that you're, you want to partition or force the sale of the house. And this comes up in marriages when people are married and they put maybe they inherited property and they put their spouse's name on the deed, even though it was inherited property, it's not marital property comes up with families where somebody puts one child on the deed with the intention that all the children were going to inherit. Guess what? It just belongs to that one child. It's, it's a mess. So just please talk to somebody before you get there. Of course, you can always talk to me. My name's attorney Steve Levake. I'm your host of Legal Tips here on WPRO. Of course, I'm here every weekend for you to answer your questions. And you can always reach me at my office at 401 490 4900 401-490-4900, or find me online at splaw.com, or you can do a Google search. Um, thanks for listening. I truly appreciate everybody who listens. I know you appreciate me being here too, and being in my office. I'll see you next week. It could be information to change your life forever. Or the Something You Should Know podcast could just be something interesting. My guest is Kim Zockman. She is author of the book, There's No Cream in Cream Soda. I don't think I've ever really known the story of why they're called hot dogs. There is so many legends about the name of the hot dog. When the Germans immigrants came over and they brought all of their sausages, they also brought their dachshunds. It really is because they kind of look like dachshunds. Something You Should Know, wherever you listen.